Section 52 of The Valley of the Moon by Jack London This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 3, Chapter 17 South they headed along the coast, hunting, fishing, swimming, and horse-buying. Billy shipped his purchases on the coasting steamers. Through Del Norte and Humboldt counties they went, and through Mendocino into Sonoma counties, larger than eastern states, threading the giant woods, whipping innumerable trout streams, and crossing countless rich valleys. Ever Saxon sought the Valley of the Moon. Sometimes, when all seemed fair, the lack was a railroad, sometimes Madrono, and Manzanita trees, and usually there was too much fog. We do want a sun cocktail once in a while, she told Billy. He up with his answer, too much fog might make us soggy. What we're after is betwixt and between, and we'll have to get back from the coast a ways to find it. This was in the fall of the year, and they turned their backs on the Pacific at Old Fort Ross and entered the Russian River Valley, far below Ukiah, by way of Casadero and Greenville. At Santa Rosa, Billy was delayed with the shipping of several horses, so it was not until afternoon that he drove south and east for Sonoma Valley. I guess we'll no more than make Sonoma Valley when it'll be time to camp, he said, measuring the sun with his eye. This is called Bennett Valley. You cross a divide from it and come out at Glen Ellen. Now, this is a mighty pretty valley, if anybody should ask you, and that's some nifty mountain over there. The mountain is all right, Saxon adjudged but all the rest of the hills are too bare, and I don't see any big trees. It takes rich soil to make big trees. Oh, I ain't saying it's the Valley of the Moon by a long ways. All the same, Saxon, that's some mountain. Look at the timber on it. I bet there's deer there. I wonder where we'll spend this winter, Saxon remarked. Do you know, I've just been thinking the same thing. Let's winter at Carmel. Mark Hall's back. And so is Jim Hazard. What do you say? Saxon nodded. Only you won't be the odd job man this time. Nope. We could make trips in good weather, horse buying, Billy confirmed, his face beaming with self-satisfaction. And if that walkin' poet of the Marble House is around, I'll sure get the gloves on with him, just in memory of the time he walked me legs off. Oh, oh, Saxon cried. Look, Billy, look. Around the bend in the road came a man in a sulky, driving a heavy stallion. The animal was a bright chestnut sorrel with cream-colored mane and tail. The tail almost swept the ground while the mane was so thick that it crested out of the neck and flowed down, long and wavy. He scented the mares and stopped short, head flung up and armfuls of creamy mane tossing in the breeze. He bent his head until flaring nostrils brushed impatient knees, and between the fine-pointed ears could be seen a mighty and incredible curve of neck. Again he tossed his head, fretting against the bit as the driver turned widely aside for safety in passing. They could see the blue gaze like a sheen on the surface of the horse's bright, wild eyes, 
and Billy closed a wary thumb on his reins, and himself turned widely. He held up his hand in signal, and the driver of the stallion stopped when well passed, and over his shoulder talked draft horses with Billy. Among other things, Billy learned that the stallion's name was Barbarossa, that the driver was the owner, and that Santa Rosa was his headquarters. There are two ways to Sonoma Valley from here, the man directed. When you come to the crossroads, the turn to the left will take you to Glen Ellen by Bennett Peak. That's it there. Rising from the rolling stubble fields, Bennett Peak towered hot in the sun, a row of bastion hills leaning against its base. But the hills and mountains on that side showed bare and heated, though beautiful with the sunburnt tawniness of California. The turn to the right will take you to Glen Ellen, too, only it's longer and steeper grades, but your mares don't look as though it'd bother them. Which is the prettiest way? Saxon asked. Oh, the right-hand road, by all means, said the man. That's Sonoma Mountain there, and the road skirts it pretty well up, and goes through Cooper's Grove. Billy did not start immediately after they had said goodbye, and he and Saxon, heads over shoulders, watched the roused Barbarossa plunging mutinously on toward Santa Rosa. Gee, Billy said, I'd like to be up here next spring. At the crossroads, Billy hesitated and looked at Saxon. What if it's longer, she said. Look how beautiful it is, all covered with green woods. And I just know those are redwoods in the canyons. You never can tell. The Valley of the Moon might be right up there somewhere, and it would never do to miss it just in order to save half an hour. They took the turn to the right and began crossing a series of steep foothills. As they approached the mountain, there were signs of a greater abundance of water. They drove beside a running stream, and though the vineyards of the hills were summer dry, the farmhouses in the hollows and on the levels were grouped about with splendid trees. Maybe it sounds funny, Saxon observed, but I'm beginning to love that mountain already. It almost seems as if I'd seen it before, somehow. It's so all-around satisfying. Oh! Crossing a bridge and rounding a sharp turn, they were suddenly enveloped in a mysterious coolness and gloom. All about them arose stately trunks of redwood. The forest floor was a rosy carpet of autumn fronds. Occasional shafts of sunlight, penetrating the deep shade, warmed the somberness of the grove. Alluring paths led off among the trees into cozy nooks made by circles of red columns growing around the dust of vanished ancestors, witnessing the titanic dimensions of those ancestors by the girth of the circles in which they stood. Out of the grove they pulled to the steep divide, which was no more than a buttress of Sonoma Mountain. The way led on through rolling uplands and across small dips and canyons, all well wooded and adrip with water. In places the road was muddy from wayside springs. That mountain's a sponge, said Billy. Here it is, the tail end of dry summer, and the ground's just leaking everywhere. I know I've never been here before, Saxon communed aloud, but it's all so familiar. 
I must have dreamed it. And there's Madrano's, a whole grove, and Manzanita. Why, I feel as if I was coming home. Oh, Billy, if this should turn out to be our valley. Plastered against the side of a mountain, he queried, with a skeptical laugh. No, I don't mean that. I mean on the way to our valley. Because the way, always, to our valley must be beautiful. And this, I've seen it all before, dreamed it. It's great, he said sympathetically. I wouldn't trade a square mile of this kind of country for the whole Sacramento Valley, with the river islands thrown in and Middle River for good measure. If there ain't deer up there, I miss my guess, and when there's springs, there's streams, and streams mean trout. They passed a large and comfortable farmhouse, surrounded by wandering barns and cow sheds went on under forest arches, and emerged beside a field with which Saxon was instantly enchanted. It flowed in a gentle concave from the road up the mountain, its farther boundary an unbroken line of timber. The field glowed like rough gold in the approaching sunset, and near the middle of it stood a solitary great redwood, with blasted top suggesting a nesting airy for eagles. The timber beyond clothed the mountain in solid green to what they took to be the top. But as they drove on, Saxon, looking back upon what she called her field, saw the real summit of Sonoma towering beyond, the mountain behind her field a mere spur upon the side of the larger mass. Ahead and toward the right, across the sheer ridges of the mountain, separated by deep green canyons, and broadening lower down into rolling orchards and vineyards, they caught their first sight of Sonoma Valley and the wild mountains that rimmed its eastern side. To the left they gazed across a golden land of small hills and valleys. Beyond to the north they glimpsed another portion of the valley, and still beyond the opposing wall of the valley, a range of mountains, the highest of which reared its red and battered ancient crater against a rosy and mellowing sky. From north to the southeast, the mountain rim curved in the brightness of the sun, while Saxon and Billy were already in the shadow of evening. He looked at Saxon, noted the ravished ecstasy of her face, and stopped the horses. All the eastern sky was blushing to rose, which descended upon the mountains, touching them with wine and ruby. Sonoma Valley began to fill with a purple flood, laving the mountain base, rising, inundating, drowning them in purple. Saxon pointed in silence, indicating that the purple flood was the sunset shadow of Sonoma Mountain. Billy nodded, then chirruped to the mares, and the descent began through a warm and colorful twilight. On the elevated sections of the road, they felt the cool, delicious breeze from the Pacific forty miles away, while from each little dip and hollow came warm breaths of autumn earth, spicy with sunburnt grass and falling leaves and passing flowers. They came to the rim of a deep canyon that seemed to penetrate to the heart of Sonoma Mountain. Again, with no words spoken, merely from watching Saxon, Billy stopped the wagon. The canyon was wildly beautiful, 
Tall redwoods lined its entire length. On its farther rim stood three rugged knolls covered with dense woods of spruce and oak. From between the knolls, a feeder to the main canyon, and likewise fringed with redwoods, emerged a smaller canyon. Billy pointed to a stubble field that lay at the feet of the knolls. In fields like that, I've seen my mares a-pasturing, he said. They dropped down into the canyon, the road following a stream that sang under maples and alders. The sunset fires, refracted from the cloud driftage of the autumn sky, bathed the canyon with crimson, in which ruddy-limbed madronos and wine-wooded manzanitas burned and smoldered. The air was aromatic with laurel. Wild grapevines bridged the stream from tree to tree. Oaks of many sorts were veiled in lacy Spanish moss. Ferns and brakes grew lush beside the stream. From somewhere came the plaint of morning doves. Fifty feet above the ground, almost over their heads, a Douglas squirrel crossed the road. A flash of gray between two trees, and they marked the continuance of its aerial passage by the bending of the boughs. "'I've got a hunch,' said Billy. "'Let me say it first, Saxon begged. He waited, his eyes on her face, as she gazed about her in rapture. "'We found our valley,' she whispered. "'Was that it?' He nodded, but checked speech at sight of a small boy, driving a cow up the road, a preposterously big shotgun in one hand, and in the other, as preposterously big, a jackrabbit. "'How far to Glen Ellen?' Billy asked. "'Mile and a half,' was the answer. "'What creek is this?' inquired Saxon. "'Wildwater. It empties into Sonoma Creek half a mile down.' "'Trout. This from Billy.' "'If you know how to catch him,' grinned the boy. "'Deer up the mountain?' "'It ain't open season,' the boy evaded. "'I guess you never shot a deer,' Billy slyly baited, and was rewarded with, "'I got the horns to show.' Deer shed their horns, Billy teased on. Anybody can find them. I got the meat on mine. It ain't dry yet. The boy broke off, gazing with shocked eyes into the pit Billy had dug for him. It's all right, Sonny, Billy laughed as he drove on. I ain't the game warden. I'm buying horses. More leaping tree squirrels, more ruddy madronos and majestic oaks, more fairy circles of redwoods and still beside the singing stream. They passed a gate by the roadside. Before it stood a rural mailbox, on which was lettered Edmund Hale. Standing under the rustic arch, leaning upon a gate, a man and a woman composed a picture so arresting and beautiful that Saxon caught her breath. They were side by side, the delicate hand of the woman curled in the hand of the man, which looked as if made to confer benedictions. His face bore out this impression, a beautiful, browed countenance with large, benevolent gray eyes under a wealth of white hair that shone like spun glass. He was fair and large. The little woman beside him was daintily wrought. She was saffron-brown, as a woman of the white race can well be, with smiling eyes of bluest blue. In quaint sage-green draperies she seemed a flower, 
with her small, vivid face irresistibly reminding Saxon of a springtime wake robin. Perhaps the picture made by Saxon and Billy was equally arresting and beautiful as they drove down through the golden end of day. The two couples had eyes only for each other. The little woman beamed joyously. The man's face glowed into the benediction that had trembled there. To Saxon, like the field up the mountain, like the mountain itself, it seemed that she had always known this adorable pair. She knew that she loved them. "'How do you do?' said Billy. "'You blessed children,' said the man. "'I wonder if you know how dear you look sitting there.' That was all. The wagon had passed by, rustling down the road, which was carpeted with falling leaves of maple, oak, and alder. Then they came to the meeting of the two creeks. "'What a place for a home!' Saxon cried, pointing across wild water. "'See, Billy, on that bench, there above the meadow. "'It's a rich bottom, Saxon, and so is the bench rich. "'Look at the big trees on it, and there's sure to be springs.' "'Drive over,' she said. Forsaking the main road, they crossed wild water on a narrow bridge and continued along an ancient, rutted road that ran beside an equally ancient wormwood fence of split redwood rails. They came to a gate, open, and off its hinges, through which the road led out onto the bench. "'This is it. I know it,' Saxon said with conviction. "'Drive in, Billy.' A small, whitewashed farmhouse with broken windows showed through the trees. "'Talk about your madronos.' Billy pointed to the father of all madronos, six feet in diameter at its base, sturdy and sound, which stood before the house. They spoke in low tones as they passed around the house under great oak trees and came to a stop before a small barn. They did not wait to unharness. Tying the horses, they started to explore. The pitch from the bench to the meadow was steep, yet thickly wooded with oaks and manzanita. As they crashed through the underbrush, they startled a score of quail into flight. "'How about game?' Saxon queried. Billy grinned and fell to examining a spring, which bubbled a clear stream into the meadow. Here the ground was sun-baked and wide open in a multitude of cracks. Disappointment leaped into Saxon's face, but Billy, crumbling a clod between his fingers, had not made up his mind. "'It's rich,' he pronounced. "'The cream of the soil that's been washing down from the hills for ten thousand years, but—' He broke off, stared all about, studying the configuration of the meadow, crossed it to the redwood trees beyond, then came back. "'It's no good as it is,' he said. "'But it's the best ever, if it's handled right.' All it needs is a little common sense and a lot of drainage. This meadow's a natural basin, not yet filled level. There's a sharp slope through the redwoods to the creek. Come on, I'll show you. They went through the redwoods and came out on Sonoma Creek. At this spot was no singing. The stream poured into a quiet pool. The willows on their side brushed the water. The opposite side was a steep bank. Billy measured the height of the bank with his eye. The depth of the water 
with a driftwood pole. Fifteen feet, he announced. That allows all kinds of high diving from the bank, and it's a hundred yards of swim up and down. They followed down the pool. It emptied into a riffle, across exposed bedrock into another pool. As they looked, a trout flashed into the air and back, leaving a widening ripple on the quiet surface. I guess we won't winter in Carmel, Billy said. This place was especially manufactured for us. In the morning, I'll find out who owns it. Half an hour later, feeding the horses, he called Saxon's attention to a locomotive whistle. You've got your railroad, he said. That's a train pulling into Glen Ellen, and it's only a mile from here. Saxon was dozing off to sleep under the blankets when Billy aroused her. Suppose the guy that owns it won't sell. There isn't the slightest doubt, Saxon answered, with unruffled certainty. This is our place. I know it. End of section 52